Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Jeremy Neves about fear, acceptance, focus, desires, parenting, leadership, courage, and love. Neves, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's uh, an honor and a privilege to have the chance to talk with you. Uh, as we were discussing before, uh, record, you know, starting to record in, in the pre-discussion, you know, just uh, learning more about you and you know, learning about your company and, your, and watching some of the videos that you provided me just for some background. Um, it, it was all really fascinating, and I'm really excited to have the chance. Uh, to discuss with you today about the concepts of fear, acceptance, leadership, courage, and really how we can leverage those aspects from our lives and pull them back in to leading effective workplaces. Uh, as we get started today, I want to share uh, Jeremy's bio with the listeners. Uh, Jeremy Neves, uh, as a founder, investor, and consultant, uh, spends his time starting and scaling businesses and teaching others to do the same. He's most known for his ability to take an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur to the next level in life and business. He and his team have been able to simplify the success uh, in a business down to three main components, vision, culture, and strategy. By getting really clear on these three components, he can simplify and optimize any business. And one of Jeremy's true geniuses is his ability to see 10 steps ahead when others can only see one or two. As a leader, he founded the Excite Satellite uh, Corporation, which employs a thousand plus individuals and over a 10 year period generated over 70 million in sales. Uh, he also uh, works as a role model uh, when he's not founding work on a new business. He can be found working on his other two passions in life, his family and saving trafficked children. Uh, and, and I must say that that aspect of your bio was something that uh, really stuck out to me. And uh, I applaud you for that work. Uh, it's, it's one of the, the biggest tragedies, I think, uh, not only in, the, in this country, but throughout the world. And uh, so uh, good work. Keep up the good work. And uh, I, I'm really excited to have the chance to talk with you today. I'm so excited to be here with you today as well. Thank you. Um, thank you for that introduction. As we get started, is there anything else you would like to share with the audience just by way of introduction or background? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you, you hit on a couple of those two things there in business. I'm super passionate about business, always have been since a very young age, um, had an entrepreneurial dad um, and um, have just really been passionate about growing and building and progressing and, and, and learning and things. Um, and uh, spent 10 years of my career uh, starting and, and growing a business. It was primarily Excite Satellite. We were primarily door to door. Um, so we had door to door teams all over the country selling Internet and phone products. Um, it was a great opportunity for me to, to um, 
to learn and to grow, but also to help and teach others to do the same. We had a lot of independent contractors that ran their own teams and, and worked on straight commission. And so, you know, it had a great uh, opportunity to learn and, and grow as a leader in that opportunity. And then, yeah, I'm extremely passionate about my family and, and, um, and then also, you know, recently in the last few years, been involved with this um, uh, child trafficking and uh, organization nonprofit based here in Utah. And, and have had, you know, the fortunate pleasure of going undercover and rescuing children from trafficking. And so uh, I feel like this, that's something that's, that's getting louder and louder today. Um, people are becoming more and more aware of the fact that it exists. And um, I'm super passionate about being a part of, of helping be part of the solution. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So, and it's not going to be the focus of the episode today, but I can't okay. help but take a little bit of time to just pick your brain on the going undercover aspect of what you do. I mean, that's, that's crazy stuff. Uh, yeah. I imagine, I imagine you could tell a lot of, of, <laughs> of stories, probably most of them quite horrific. Um, yeah. But, you know, can you give us just a little bit of an overview of, of like what that looks like when you're involved yeah. in, in going undercover to save um, girls from sexual yeah, trafficking? Absolutely. So with a quick context, like um, the U S is, is, um, a big part of the problem, um, if not the greatest. We're, we are the supply and we are the demand um, in, for the world. Um, it's American men who are the largest producers and consumers, men and women, who are the largest producers and consumers of child pornography, and um, which is the gateway and, and the cause, causation of the problem that, that exists. And so, um, you know, as an undercover agent and, and the way that we go about it, I'm not a law enforcement and nor do we have jurisdiction in any of the places that we go, but we work with federal government uh, uh, law enforcement and we come in as the American man with that face um, that the traffickers know so well that come looking for um, to purchase these children for um, sex trafficking. And, and so we go into these other countries and, and pretend to be uh, looking to, to purchase these girls. And um, we work our way up the chain and find um, find traffickers and find more and more girls, get as many as we can into um, into a house that we've secured uh, for a house party. And we throw a fake party and working with the federal agents, um, once money's been transferred and all the girls are in there, um, uh, 70 federal agents come rushing in and arrest the traffickers and, and rescue the children. And, um, you know, the role that we play is is really just kind of uh, being that face, uh, the story that they've seen over and over and over again, coming in looking to purchase these children, and um, it's really horrific. It's it's <laughs> something that I thought you know would be um, you know my wife and I decided to do it. It's like I I think I underestimated I totally underestimated um, what it would take to to sit across from these evil men and to play this role and and for the girls to never know you know that we're not the bad guys, um, but with the bigger picture in mind, it's something that we were able to you know, kind of fight through. And, and, um, you know, I, I was part of a, an operation about two years ago, we rescued 48 girls, um, and ages from 13 to, to 18 years old, uh, that were, were, uh, have been taken from their families and were being trafficked multiple times a day. So, yeah. Uh, well, I, I applaud you and, and everyone you work with for your courage and for your efforts. Um, man, I just can't even imagine. Um, so yeah. keep keep up that good work, and and I suppose again, while that's not going to be the focus of our discussion today, it does feed into the topic, mm -hmm. the topics that I want to explore with you today. You know, as we think about 
um, aspects of courage, responding to fear, um, and, and leading out uh, for the benefit of those around us. Um, uh, something else maybe, I, if you don't mind sharing, um, uh, I know something that has, had, had a, has great influence on you has been um, your son, and, and maybe you can share a little bit of that story, and then, and then we can um, go into how, what you've learned from that and into uh, an organizational leadership perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I have a young boy, he's four and a half years old now and, um, just have one child. Um, and when he was born, I, I just remember, you know, being a first time dad, you know, just like everything kind of changed in a moment, the unconditional love and, and the excitement of, you know, always dreaming growing up of, of being a dad and what it would be like and, and having a son, um, and all the things that we would do together and, and the relationship just uh, got so, so excited. And as he grew, um, we had a really good relationship. He also had a very, very good relationship with his mom and he loved and adored his mom and, uh, still loves and adores his mom. And, um, and over time he started to express an interest in, in dolls and in princesses. And his favorite is Elsa. He absolutely loves Elsa. And, um, and so for, you know, his second birthday, uh, uh, my wife bought him a, a blonde Barbie doll. Um, he had been going through the store every single time seeing these, these dolls and pointing at it and calling it mommy doll. Uh, it reminded him of his, his mom who, who had the blonde hair. And so, um, you know, at first I thought it was cute and I was like, Oh, you know, it's funny. He loves his mom. He wants to be like her, but over time it, it started to, it started to grow and his fascination just got deeper and deeper and deeper. And it wasn't just the blonde dolls. It was every doll. And it wasn't just dolls. It was dresses. And it wasn't just dresses. It was dressing up uh, like princesses and putting wigs on and shoes on and, and wanting to put makeup on. And, and as this began to happen, as this, as this began to grow, um, all sorts of fears started to, to creep in. And at the time, I didn't realize the grip that fear had on me. But I had an experience. Um, you know, I'd picked up my son one day from a friend's house. And there was a rule that he couldn't wear dresses outside of our house. Um, he could, he could take play with dolls and everything else, but, but they needed to stay here at the house. And, um, when he'd go to a friend's house, he'd put on dresses and dress ups and everything else. And that was fine. But when I picked him up, I tried to get him to take everything off and he threw an absolute tantrum, uh, taking off the wig and taking off the dress and the, uh, giving up the dolls. And, and I was embarrassed. And as I walked out of that house, I just thought, man, what do these parents think about me as a parent? Uh, what do they think about my son? And what is the chances that these kids, you know, other kids are going to make fun of my son because this is different. And um, that night, I just kind of had it. Um, I had been blaming my wife um, that she was maybe causing him to, to like these things that if I was a stay at home dad that, you know, he would have liked cars and trucks and baseball and football like me and, and, uh, you know, I'd have the son that I had always dreamed of having. Um, but uh, that night I took everything. Uh, after I put him to bed, I, I picked up his dolls and his dresses and I put it all into a, a garbage bag and I threw it all away. And I uh, just said, we're going to just go cold turkey. This is going to stop. Um, and a couple weeks later, I noticed my son was being very, very aggressive towards me, telling me to go away, telling me no, um, uh, hitting me and pushing me. And I started to wonder if maybe it had to do with, with uh, this incident, taking away his stuff. And um, I, I flew out of town and I met with a mentor of mine and this mentor sat down and just said, uh, and I explained to him what was going on with my son and, and, and that I thought maybe it was tied to the fact of uh, the dolls. And he looked me straight in the eyes and he just said, Jeremy, what are you afraid of? And, uh, and I said, what? And he's like, what are you afraid of? And I'm like, well, 
I'm afraid that my son's going to get made fun of. He goes, what else? So I'm afraid that, um, I'm afraid what other people think of me as a parent. And I'm afraid he just kept drilling me. I said, I'm afraid that my son might want to be a girl. I'm afraid that my son might be gay. Um, all of these fears um, were there and I didn't even realize the grip it had on me. And uh, he said, what if all those fears were to come true? And I just said, that would be really, really hard. And he said, yeah, I bet. He goes, would you still love him? I said, absolutely. Like, no question. That was an easy, easy answer. He said, well, don't you think it's important that you show him that? I said, yeah. And uh, he said, what do you want most? Like, what do you want absolutely most? And, and I just said, I want my son to know that I accept him. I want him to know that I love him. I want him to know that I'm there for him no matter what. There's nothing that's going to change whether or not I'll be there for him. And uh, that night I called my wife and said, things are going to be different. I flew home the next day. Um, I picked up my son. I, I got in my car at the airport. I drove straight home, picked up my son. I took him to the store. And we picked out the most beautiful <laughs> Elsa dress you could find. And uh, he hugged and kissed me and it was just absolutely amazed. He's like, dad, like, really, dad? Like, you're going to let me have this? Like, you could tell it was this huge weight off his shoulders. Like, you, you're really going to let me do this? And uh, it just it struck me so hard. Like, I just realized how much, um, how much fear was driving me and how I wasn't going to let fear drive me anymore. And so, you know, I, over time, you know, uh, a few weeks later, uh, I surprised him again. I, I found online a, a six foot three, 220 pound person Elsa dress. And I got my own dress and my own wig. And I surprised him with that and, and asked him if we could play together. And he was just elated. And, and then, you know, when frozen two came out, we went, went to the theaters dressed up together. We went trick or treating together. We had a birthday party, um, where we were all dressed up as Elsa. And, and I just really have, have, it's changed my life, my relationship with my son and showing him that, Hey, um, I accept you. I love you. And, uh, and I'm willing to do the, you know, the hard things to, uh, I'm, I'm willing to face my fears in order to, to show that because that's what I want more, uh, than, than the other things that I was afraid of. Really, really powerful experience for me. Yeah. Well, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that with everyone. Um, yeah, I mean, that's tough stuff and confronting our, our biases and our fears and learning to show unconditional love and acceptance to those around us, uh, can be difficult, but it's, it's powerful and, and ultimately can drive healthy relationships and the fear and, the, the allowing the biases to, to feed into our, our thinking, um, you know, that's, that's, what's going to damage, uh, relationships and it's, what's going to hurt, you know, our families, organizations, whatever the case may be. Um, now pivoting a little bit from those, from your sex trafficking work and from the experience with your son, um, you know, those are powerful types of experiences, um, but I know you've, you've had a lot of success in the workplace. You've had a lot of success starting businesses. Um, how, what lessons have you been able to take from, the, from uh, those, those experiences and how have you pulled those into your leadership style and approach in working with employees uh, in organizations? Yeah. So first and foremost, with, with both of them, you know, we talk about courage. Um, I, I feel like courage is... Um, courage is not the absence of fear. It's, it's, it's taking action when fear is present. 
Um, it's knowing and recognizing and checking in and be like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid right now and I'm still going to take action. I'm still going to move forward. Just like in the trafficking, it's like I was terrified the night before the operation, sitting down with evil, evil traffickers face to face with them, <laughs> uh, knowing that if one slip of the tongue, we're dead type thing. Um, and, uh, but still going because of what I wanted more. Um, taking action. And, and and I think that's where, you know, if I lead into the business world, it's, you know, having a clear vision of where you want to go and what you want most. Um, and, and when you have a vision of what that is, um, even though there might be fear, there may be areas of, of discomfort, whether it's speaking, uh, you know, confronting a, a challenge head on, having a conversation with somebody um, that maybe is not an easy conversation, maybe it's correcting behavior, um, maybe it's a sales call, whatever it is uh, that somebody could could have some fear around. Um, checking in with what it is that you want most, and your vision, and where the where the company's going, and what your desire is, and still taking action, still moving forward, and taking that taking that action. I feel like courage is number one, um, and then number two, you know, lessons that I've learned and in, in, that apply to those is 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 the key to leadership, and the key to leadership in my mind is trust. Um, you know, I feel like. I feel like the old way of leadership was, you know, uh, either getting somebody to like you or getting somebody to respect you. Um, you know, maybe fear-based leadership of like, you know, you work for me um, or you're below me or whatever else. If you want to keep your job, this is this is how it's going to be. Um, but that's not long-term. That's not lasting, and that's not what's going to get the best results. Um, you know, when I got when I look at the relationship with my son, um, uh, he could like me, he could respect me as his dad. Um, but until he trusts me, I'm not getting the best of him and, and I'm not getting, we're not going to go as far as we could have gone. And so for me, it's about trust. And I feel like the key for trust in leadership, um, and in an organization is by being open, by being vulnerable. Um, I think one of the most powerful things you can do is put yourself in the other person's shoes. Um, you know, look at the bigger picture and then say, okay, here's where I want to go. Here's, here's where I'm at, but also, what, what might the other person be experiencing? What might they be going through? And how might, um, how might I uh, meet them where they are and then lead them, lead them where we need to go together? And, and I feel like trust and courage are those two things that for me have been absolutely paramount in success. Yeah, I, I love that. And I agree. I think trust is essential. And so much of what you shared from your past experiences and how they feed into your leadership in terms of, uh, in terms of, love and acceptance. Uh, I think those are essential in developing trust and maintaining trust. Now, obviously in the workplace, we're not talking about romantic love. We're not talking about familial love, but we're talking about genuine interest, genuine care, genuine desire to serve those that you lead. That, that creates trust. That creates a sense of workplace uh, you know, maybe love's the wrong word, but it's essentially love, right? That you, you know, you can count on each other. You know that you accept each other. You care for each other. That work is a safe place. Nobody's going to hold you in judgment. Um, and really, we're all in it together to try to make this thing be the most successful it can be. Um, again, there might be a better word for it in the workplace setting than love, but that's essentially love. And so I think that takes vulnerability. That takes, um, that takes a commitment. To, to opening transparency and opening yourself up to other people uh, and then authentically being with them and showing empathy towards them and, and, and serving them. 
I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I think love's that cliche word and we're like, you know, we don't want to use that in, in different places, but it is. It's, it's love, it's concern, it's, it's empathy, it's compassion. Um, and and how, how, in a, how in an organization can we get to a place where um, people are encouraged to, to, to try things and, to, and to, be, uh, to be able to fail, right? If there's, this, if there's this caring, if there's this concern like there is, you know, we call it in the different areas of our lives, we call it, you know, in, in our passion projects, maybe, you know, with uh, undercover stuff or whether it's at home, you know, at business what it all is across, across the board is it's, it's culture, right? It's your identity. It's who you are. And so who you are and who you are in that company shouldn't be different. It, it should be similar. We should find people who are like us, who have, who share the same identity, the same values, and those values come, they come alive. And so in the organization, if there's an identity and there's a culture of, of acceptance, of, of love, of compassion, and if there's better words, then great. But the essence of those words um, there's, there's going to be a culture of go and try and fail and, and learn because if you can't have a culture of like, Hey, be who you are and do it, do your best and take risks and try things and have courage. Um, and, and things not working out, um, doesn't mean that you failed. It just means that you learned uh, what didn't work and now you get to continue to move forward. And I think that that's a culture that, that will, will create, you know, be a, a uh, culture that is allowed to create and that, that will evolve and that will come together and, and be much stronger. Absolutely. Falling forward, failing fast. You know, these are some of the cliche types of terms that we hear a lot in business, but they're true. Uh, you, you have, if you want creativity, if you want innovation, if you want uh, to, to foster a people centered orientation in your organization, both towards employees and towards customers, you have to be safe for people to take reasonable risks to, and learn from those um, experiences. Some of them will be successful, but you know, nine out of 10 of them probably won't be. They'll, you know, you, you try, you see what happens. Um, and if it works, you try to scale it. If it doesn't work, you learn from, from the, the, the mistakes and the, the, the failure, and then you move on and you, and you try the next thing. And the organization's, that fade away, uh, even the you know big conglomerate, big powerhouse organizations that end up fail, uh, failing and, and fading into into the background, they're those that stop trying to innovate. They're the ones that feel like they have the corner on the market, they have it all figured out, they and then they just try to maintain the status quo. And you know you can ride that out for a while, <laughs> but only for so long before uh, before you just won't be able to survive in today's hyper-competitive global marketplace where people are, are, are innovating rapidly and there's new technologies constantly, you just have to, you have to create that safe environment. So, so um, recognizing that fear is the number one um, deterrent to, to people innovating in organizations. That comes back to trust or lack thereof, um, that comes back to love, uh, acceptance or lack thereof, if someone's worried about being punished, if they're worried about being found out because they're um, transgendered or, or LGBTQ plus um, uh, individual or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever the, the, the thing they're concerned about being found out about. Um, if, if that's the scenario that we're talking about in our workplace, 
people are going to be driven primarily by fear, and they are going to uh, they're going to try to protect themselves because that's human nature. And yeah. and as a leader, I want everyone around me to know that I genuinely care for them, that I genuinely accept them, that they can be their their authentic selves and and come and bring their authentic self to the workplace and that's going to empower them to be their best self in the workplace and that they have the the that they're encouraged actually um to to take risk and to try new things and and to be creative and that's that's where the power comes from uh and i think that's good leadership i i agree with you 100 percent. i feel like um, you know, I've, I've heard you say a, a number of times safe, right? Safe, safe is that word where it's like, man, if we could create safety and you talk about human nature, right? Our basic human instincts, you know, from back to caveman days is like safety. We know when we're, we're safe and when we know, we know when we're at, at risk and, and our bodies still react the same way. It goes into this fight or flight mode where it's like, I've got to just survive, go into survival mode. And if it's not safe, you're going to have people in survival mode all the time and you're not going to get their creativity. You're not, they're going to be so their body, their mind, everything's going to be so occupied with, with uh, surviving instead of thriving. And as a leader, it sounds like you really value that safety. And so, you know, I, uh, there's a saying that people, you talk about fear, it's the greatest motivator. I think, uh, that, that humans have and that, that they operate from. Um, there's a saying that, that people run faster away from a burning building than they will run towards a pot of gold. And it just shows you that people like they, they're more focused on what they don't want to have happen than they are based on what they do want to have happen. And, you know, I do this exercise with people and I, I have them put their arms out by their side and, and I have them look at their left hand and say like, that is, that is what you don't want. When you look at what you don't want, um, you know, you can't see your other hand and your other hand is actually what you do want. And so when you're focused on what you don't want, you can't even see what it is that you do want. So that's fear. If you're running from, if you're, if you're focused on fear, you still can't even see what you want. And, and if you accomplish it, let's just say that you get away from that burning building, you know, and, and now you put that left hand down. It's like, well, you still can't see what you want. You just accomplished not having the thing you didn't want to have, which is not like that is not the best way to be living your life. It's not the highest good. You might protect yourself. You might, you might feel a sense of safety at the end of that, but you still aren't closer to where you want to be. And that's why I think so many people are, you know, living the same life over and over and they're not getting further progressing. Um, and, and that's a great, that's a great funnel to put yourself through and just ask like, what am I focused on? Is it what I want or what I don't want? And as a leader, um, I feel it's our responsibility to, um, to show the way. To, to every single day show up and be focused on what we want most. If we want people to feel safe, well then we need to come with a sense of safety and we need to create safety. And I feel we can do that by going first. Me standing up and telling this, this story um, about my son and I, it took a while to get there. Like they were fears and they were insecurities. And I felt like maybe I was alone and that people would, you know, there's, there's definitely some opposing thoughts and feelings to that experience. Um, and the way that I handled it, some people still feel like it's the wrong way to go about it. Um, but, but by going there and sharing that I open up and I give permission, which I feel so often all of us are craving is permission. We just want someone to give us permission to, to be ourselves or to, to say the thing or do the thing or, or whatever. And so as a leader, if I can show up and, and go there 
um, it gives everyone else permission to do the same and, and to follow suit. And um, I think that that's, that's absolutely paramount if we want to, if we want to further, you know, create that safe place for people to, to be authentic and, and, um, and be able to progress together. Absolutely. Well said. Um, we're about out of time, but before we part ways, uh, I want to give you a chance to share with the listeners how they can get in touch with you, find out more about you. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my website's jeremynevis.com. Um, Nevis is spelled seven backwards. Uh, it's a great way for people to remember it. Nevis seven. Um, uh, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, again, it's just Jeremy Nevis, J E R E M Y. And then Nevis, N E V E S, which is seven backwards. Um, on Instagram, it's, uh, with an underscore after my name. Um, but yeah, if you Google my name, uh, you'll find me as well. I, you know, I've got a, I've been pretty active on online. And so, um, Jeremy Nevis, you'll find me online as well. So yeah, I'd love to get connect with anybody and just feel free to reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeremy. It's been a real pleasure talking with you today. Um, I really appreciate your insights and your vulnerability and your willingness to share. I encourage my listeners to reach out um, to Jeremy and, and uh, get to know more about what he does. And uh, thanks, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and stay healthy and safe. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.